Please join me in thanking Credit Karma for supporting Muller She Wrote. Apply with more confidence today. Ready to apply? Head to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to see personalized offers. And thanks to Ana Luisa for supporting Muller She Wrote. Ana Luisa makes beautiful, sustainable jewelry at fair prices. For 10% off, go to shop.analuisa.com slash mswmedia and use code mswmedia. Hey all, this is Glenn Kirshner and you're listening to Muller She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., Allison Gill. And there is a lot of news stemming from Mueller World this week. Of course, we had our first January 6th hearing uh, this week, and uh, I'm going to go over that in detail on this week's Clean Up on Aisle 45 with Andrew Torres and on the Daily Beans podcast with Dana Goldberg. So that's where you'll find that coverage of that particular thing. Today on this show, we have plenty of other news to get to uh, from investigations that originated in the Mueller probe, Matthew Grimes has filed a motion to sever from Tom Barrack. I'll explain that. We have some Farah news about Ron DeSantis' spokesperson. And I have a hell of a sabotage for you today. We can add another person to the Trump inaugural murder board. And also out today, another episode of the MSW Book Club covering Allow Me to Retort by Ellie Mistal. So check that out if you're into it. Subscribe wherever you get your pods. Without further ado, let's jump in with Just the Facts. All right. First up, the curious relationship between 75-year-old federally indicted financier Tom Barrack and his 26-year-old co-defendant and roommate Matthew Grimes just got curiouser. In a federal court filing, Grimes is slowly backing away from Tom Barrack, like Homer Simpson into shrubs, but with crimes. And here's what Grimes' lawyer, Abby Lowell, by the way, that's a Kushner lawyer too, This is what he filed on his client's behalf on June 6th, just three weeks after Tom Barrack was superseded for taking $374 million from the UAE for pushing their interests with Trump. Mr. Grimes is charged with a novel statute applied to him in an unprecedented fashion. This is from the filing, i.e. a young assistant carrying out the directions of a U.S. boss. U.S. boss. That's interesting. A U.S. boss. He is presently to be tried alongside that former boss, Thomas Barrick, a sophisticated international businessman with long-standing business and government connections. Mr. Barrick is also being charged with seven additional counts for obstruction of justice, making false statements, etc. During the predecessor investigation to this indictment, led by the Office of Special Counsel, Robert Mueller, Mr. Grimes fully cooperated. Mr. Barrick also gave interviews with Robert Mueller and statements he made therein from the, form the basis of the additional counts against him. The statements that each defendant made in the past, no doubt, 
will likely be introduced by the government in this case. In addition, the government has indicated that it will call witnesses in its case from Mr. Grimes's former employer, whom counsel for Mr. Grimes can question, perhaps differently than Mr. Barrick's counsel. In a joint trial with Mr. Barrick, there is a real possibility that Mr. Grimes' defense would be impaired and his right to a fair trial could be threatened. A joint trial could easily, one, lead the spillover bias from the fact that Mr. Grimes is not charged with any of the obstruction of justice or false statement charges and would also be confronted with substantial evidence that doesn't involve him. Two, result in the presentation to the jury of competing trial strategies and defenses by Mr. Grimes and Mr. Barrick based on each presenting their different roles at the company and in the events at issue. Number three, inject brutal confrontation issues into the larger trial, since the government can be counted on to offer several out-of-court statements that one defendant has made regarding the alleged conduct that would be inadmissible against the other. And finally, four, it could touch on some of the issues the court has addressed concerning colony capital witnesses. In short, these likely events to find a well-supported case for severance pursuant to Rule 14. They don't. As the case presents, quote, a serious risk that a joint trial would compromise a specific trial right of one of the defendants and prevent the jury from making a reliable judgment about guilt or innocence. And then they uh, cite that's from Zafiro v. United States, 1993. Accordingly, for the reasons discussed below, Mr. Grimes respectfully requests this court sever his trial on counts one and two. So what are counts one and two? Here's what count one says. In or about April 2016 and April 2018, both dates being approximate and inclusive, within the Eastern District of New York and elsewhere, the defendants, Rashid Sultan Rashid al-Malik al-Ashahi, also known as Rashid al-Malik, and Thomas Joseph Barrick and Matthew Grimes together with others did knowingly and intentionally act in the United States as agents of a foreign government to wit the United Arab Emirates without prior notification of the Attorney General of the United States as required by law Title 18 United States Code Section 951A 2 which is some some people call that espionage light but I like to call it Farah Plus Okay, because this isn't really espionage that he's being indicted with. It's for lobbying. It's for lobbying for a foreign country. But see, like the differences, and I've talked to some Farah experts on this. And when I say Farah experts, I mean Farah experts, not like Twitter people. I mean actual fucking Farah experts. And they say, you know, with for for Farah the regular Farah six eleven, you just you know you have to be lobbying on behalf of foreign interests. And 951 adds, like, direction, right? So there, it's a, it's heavier. It's like Farrah Plus. Then more than that, than espionage light. Although they do charge espionage under 951. Anyway, count two says, in or about April uh, 2016 and April 2018, both dates approximate and inclusive, within the Eastern District of New York and elsewhere, defendants, Al-Malik, and Thomas Joseph Barrack and Matthew Grimes and Matthew Grimes together with others did knowingly and intentionally conspire to act in the United States as agents of foreign government to wit the United Arab Emirates without prior notification of the Attorney General of the United States contrary to Title 18 U.S. Code Section 951A in furtherance of the conspiracy and to affect its objects within the Eastern District of New York and elsewhere 
defendants, Al Malik, Tom Barrick, Matthew Grimes, together with others, did commit and cause the commission of, among others, the following. And then they list like dozens of overt acts, dates, text messages, emails, meetings related to Barrick's promotion of the UAE and its foreign policy interests in media appearances. And that's where the dozens of the things come in here. And that's what makes it uh, violations of 18 U.S. Code 371, conspiracy to defraud the United States. Abby Lowell argues there's no evidence that Mr. Grimes ever agreed to be an agent for the UAE or that Grimes knew or would have known that his alleged activities on behalf of Colony rendered him an agent of the United Arab Emirates. He was just a kid, dude. He's just a kid who lives with the guy, sure, and was there at all the meetings, yeah. But, I mean, he was just working for him. He was, he was the U.S. boss. He, this is just a kid taking orders. I was just following orders. The filing goes on to say, during the time period addressed in the indictment, April 16, April 2016 to April 2018, Mr. Barrick is alleged to have met and communicated with various foreign officials, hosted inauguration events in honor of and alongside President-elect Trump, and briefed the White House and other executive branch agencies on key matters and meetings affecting the U.S.-UAE relationships. Mr. Grimes is alleged to have facilitated some of those meetings and accompanied Mr. Barrick to some of those business trips, as would be expected from an assistant to the executive chairman. Despite their vastly different roles, the actions of Messrs. Barrick and Grimes are often blended together, both in the indictment and in the filings the government has made in motions practice. Yeah, they're also both indicted. Additionally, Mr. Grimes cannot foreclose the possibility that his defense will include questioning the colony witnesses that the government has indicated it plans to call about the different roles he and Mr. Barrick had and his reliance on those within the company and its advisors. In fact, the superseding indictment added allegations of a business transaction referred to as the commercial property that the government believes is now relevant to the charges. But then we start running into some redactions. And that's where I want to read this to you. It says, as noted above, during the Mueller investigation, both Grimes and Barrick made statements. And then in parentheses, it says, Mr. Grimes redacted and once in an interview and Mr. Barrick at two interviews, one with the Office of Special Counsel and one with the Eastern District of New York prosecutors, that the government will most certainly seek to introduce a trial. Among the statements, Mr. Barrick stated in his interview with the Eastern District of New York prosecutors that redacted. Interview of Thomas J. Barrick on June 20th, 2019. In that same interview, in connection with allegedly acquiring a dedicated cell phone referenced in the superseding indictment charges against Mr. Barrick, Mr. Barrick stated that redacted, redacted, redacted to connect with certain individuals in the Middle East. He had a cell phone to connect with certain... And that's mentioned in the indictment, in superseding indictment. And then for his part, Mr. Grimes stated in his interview with Rob Mueller that Rashid al-Malik, redacted and redacted, cultivating relationships for Barrick and Colony. Uh, interview with Matthew Grimes, April 3rd, 2018, with, with Mueller. Furthermore, Mr. Grimes made other out-of-court statements that the government might introduce, for example, in connection with redacted, redacted, in or about September 2017, Mr. Grimes stated in a text message to Al-Malik that redacted, redacted, redacted. 
Mr. Al-Malik also asked Mr. Grimes whether there had been redacted, redacted, and he replied, redacted, redacted. Neither Mr. Grimes nor Mr. Barrick can compel the other to just to testify to explain such statements if needed. And so these would constitute out-of-court statements for which there would be no cross-examination. Courts are particularly sensitive to these possibilities, and even limiting instructions are deemed insufficient. Yeah, good luck, bro. Good luck. And uh, one other bit of information buried in a footnote. It's in a footnote in the fine print at the end of the last page of the filing. Abby Lowell concedes that he spoke to the government about this motion to sever and that the government is not on board. Yeah, no shit, Crimer. <laughs> All right, next up, a spokeswoman for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis this week had to register as a foreign agent of a former president of Georgia, Mikhail Saskashvili belatedly detailing the work she performed for the politician between 2018 and 2020. The spokeswoman, Christina Pouchaw, has made the disclosure following contact from the Justice Department, according to her old attorney, Mike Sherwin. Mike Sherwin. I wonder if that's the same Mike Sherwin that was that had to resign from the Justice Department before he was sanctioned for blabbing about Oath Keepers' seditious conspiracy charges on 60 Minutes wonder if it's the same guy. Anyway, Pasha began her work in 2018 as a volunteer in the post-Soviet country, uh, Sherwin said, and was ultimately paid $25,000 over the course of two years. She received her first payment of $10,000 in October 2018 in cash, according to her filing. She stayed for free for six weeks in an apartment owned by Saakashvili, uh, well, one of his associates in Tbilisi, which is the capital of Georgia. Quote, her efforts included writing op-eds, reaching out to supporters and officials and advocating on his behalf in Georgia and in the United States. The work ended in 2020. Ms. Pouchaw was notified recently by the Department of Justice that her work on behalf of Saakashvili likely required fairer registration. Pouchaw filed for the registration retroactively as soon as she was made aware, unquote. Justice Department spokesman has declined to comment. This episode reflects standard enforcement practices under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. And that's according to Joshua Ian Rosenstein, an expert uh, on the 1938 law at D.C.-based Sandler Reef Lamb Rosenstein and Birkenstock. A letter of inquiry may prompt a voluntary registration, he said, to shortcut uh, to short circuit a more formal determination of failure to comply. Now, enforcement can take place years after the activity in question if authorities receive a complaint or simply act on public news. Uh, though the methods are standard, Rosenstein added, there is an increased willingness to use them. Last month, as we know, Justice Department sued Steve Wynn, developer, casino mogul, Republican megadonor, former finance chair of the RNC. They sued him to compel him to register as an agent of China. Days before that, a Washington lobbying firm said a probe into its work for Burisma Holdings concluded when it submitted a new filing retroactively detailing its activities on behalf of the Ukrainian oil and natural gas company which once counted Hunter Biden as a board member. Interesting. Pusha, a year into her tenure as DeSantis's press secretary, has become a prominent protector of her boss and a fierce critic of the media. Twitter briefly locked her account last year after the Associated Press said the criticism she directed at a reporter caused him to receive death threats. She, was written, uh, she has written openly on social media of her work for Saakashvili, who was arrested last year when he returned to Georgia after eight years in exile. Associated with factions crit uh, critical of the Kremlin, 
Uh, Saakashvili led Georgia from 2004 to 2013 and entered Ukrainian politics after that. Country removed a pro-Russian president in 2014. A court in Georgia, now controlled by Saakashvili's political opponents, convicted him in absentia in 2018. He faced arrest three years later when he made a theatrical return to his country, posting a copy of his plane ticket on social media. According to Christina Pusha's LinkedIn profile, she joined the governor's office in May 2021 after her time as director of a nonprofit focused on empowering youth through education and professional development opportunities based in Tbilisi. She also lists experience as a campaign strategist for a Georgian opposition party and on other social media has identified that party as the United National Movement, which Saakashvili once chaired. In her filing with the Justice Department, dated June 6, she wrote that her activities included perception management, public relations, preparation and dissemination of informational materials to an international audience, including U.S. persons and entities. Pusha's work for Saakashvili involved going toe-to-toe in 2018 with Samuel Patton, a political consultant who had just pleaded guilty to not registering as an agent of a Ukrainian political party. As part of his plea deal, Patton agreed to assist special counsel Robert Mueller in his investigation of foreign influence in the 2016 election. In communication reproduced at the time by George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley, Christina Pusha claims to have contacted the DOJ about messages allegedly sent by Patton to a former aide to Saakashvili before the Georgian exile's appearance on CNN, before he was on CNN. In the appearance, which included a discussion of Patton's case, Saakashvili read aloud the messages said to have come from Patton, including a warning to call off your trolls now or I'll start releasing things about Misha. He'd prefer I didn't. Quote, today I contacted the Department of Justice to report Sam's threat to send over the screenshots, Pushaw wrote to Turley, who appeared on CNN after Saakashvili. I believe Sam knew Saakashvili would talk about the case on CNN yesterday, since I announced it on Facebook a few hours beforehand. I think Sam sent that threat right before the interview to coerce him into silence. Patton called the suggestion that he was bullying Saakashvili or his associates absurd backwards and disproven. Turley said he reproduced Pusha's message with her permission. Sherwin, her attorney, did not respond to a question about the 2018 episode. So we've got Mike Sherwin, Jonathan Turley... Pusha, Sam Patton, the best people. Talk about a throwback. I've been calling her DeSantis's Manafort, but she's blocked me on Twitter, so she can't see that. All right, we still have a banana sabotage right after this quick break. Stay with us. Hi, everyone. I want to talk about my new favorite place to buy jewelry. It's called Ana Luisa. Ana Luisa has incredible assortments of high-quality, unique, affordable jewelry crafted with the planet in mind. That's my favorite part is the sustainability. Their products are 100% water neutral and 100% carbon neutral from packing to products to everything. Their entire selection is highly affordable, fair prices starting at just $39, making it even easier for you to shop for yourself or find the perfect gift for that special someone. With new jewelry collections released every Friday, there's always something new and exciting to add to your personal collection. I have the drop earrings. They are so comfortable. They're beautiful. They're both kind of punk rock, but also kind of pretty. It's hard to explain, but they're gorgeous and they feel wonderful in my ears. I haven't taken them off since I got them and the unpackaging was really cool too. They came with this little neat magnet envelope patch that's, you know, 100% carbon and water neutral and I can use it to carry the earrings around when I travel. And we have Ana Luisa deal for you today. Treat yourself and your loved ones and use code MSWMedia to get 10% off. I absolutely love their jewelry. I recommend them. They're a great brand. They make beautiful, sustainable stuff. Go check out 
the jewelry at shop.analuisa.com slash mswmedia and use code mswmedia. Again, for 10% off, go to shop.analuisa.com slash mswmedia and use code mswmedia. That's shopanaluisa.com slash mswmedia. And also today, having a good credit score can really make a huge difference in your life when you navigate the financial choices that impact our lives the most, from emergency expenses to long-term planning. Building your credit can be the difference between huge frustration and like having your dreams come true. I should know, in my own experience with my finances, I had crap credit. I had to build it back. And since I have, it's opened doors for me to things I never would have been able to achieve. And I'm thankful I started early and I've stayed focused on it. The benefits cannot be underestimated. And it doesn't matter whether you're paying down old debt or planning for a new upcoming purchase. Credit Karma has a solution for you. Credit Karma can help transition away from using high interest rate credit cards by helping you find a personal loan with a lower interest rate based on your personal credit information. So the solution is tailor-made for your exact financial situation. Credit Karma also shows your chance of approval so you can apply with more confidence and choose from loan offers that make the most sense. Comparing offers on Credit Karma is 100% free. It doesn't affect your credit score and it can help save you money. Credit Karma, apply with more confidence today. Ready to apply? Head to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to see personalized offers. Go to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to find a loan for you. That's creditkarma.com slash loan offers. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for Sabotage. All right, are you ready for some major dot connecting? We're going to put the dipsy doodle on this entire fucking episode. You're going to, it's going to blow your mind. So that last story about Ron DeSantis's Manafort, Christine Peshaw having to register as a foreign agent and how she went toe to toe with Sam Patton and Sam Patton was charged with making straw donations to the Trump inaugural and Grimes, Matthew Grimes wants to sever from Tom Barrack, who was the chair of the Trump inaugural. Our sabotage today has to do with, you guessed it, the Trump inaugural. Let me play you a clip from the Wayback Machine. This is an episode of Mueller She Wrote that aired on February 10th, 2019. That's over three years ago, y'all. It's called Bezos Exposes Pecker. And uh, I know I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a mat out. I'm going to start somewhere, but it will make sense. I will tie it to something relevant this week. I promise. Let's listen to the clip now. Uh, this is potentially more consequential than even the Mueller investigation. Don't hate me for saying that, though this investigation originated from Mueller's probe. So it, it came from there. The Southern District of New York issued a broad subpoena for the Trump inaugural committee. And we've been following this story for a really long time since we found out Trump's inaugural cost twice as much as Obama's, apparently, but was like one tenth as cool. <laughs> So what's amazing about this subpoena, you guys, is the sheer scope of it. It requires Trump inaugural officials to hand over documents about donors, finances, activities, spending, any guests, any benefits they handed out, including tickets and photo ops with the president, federal disclosure filings, vendors, contractors, contractor lists, pretty much everything they have. It could take months to comply with this subpoena. They want to know all the benefits provided to guests and donors and donations because the inaugural has to disclose these to the FEC. Any falsification or omission is a crime because the disclosure form is signed under penalty of perjury. And this one was signed by a guy named Doug Ammerman. So you might want to throw him on your fantasy draft. Mm, Doug. <laughs> Doug Ammerman. Squirrel! Um, prosecutors want to know if any foreigners illegally donated, as well as whether committee staff members knew that such donations were illegal, or if money was just being paid directly to vendors instead of going through the inaugural like it's supposed to so that they didn't have to report it. 
um, for tax. Well, it's a nonprofit, so they, it's not a tax dodge. It's more of a we don't want you to know where this money came from dodge. Right. And that bit is important because accepting foreign contributions isn't it's only a crime if it's done with knowledge that the donations were illegal. Uh, and it also says to me that there is indeed evidence of foreign contributions and the Southern District of New York is building a case for criminal charges. Uh, beans. They asked for documents laying out inaugural policy for accepting donations because federal law prohibits foreign contributions to federal campaigns, PACs, and inaugural funds. So if the Trump org has these documents that lay out a policy that says we can't accept foreign donations, then that means they knew and that therefore it's a crime, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Shuto of CNN said that the prosecutors are investigating a giant list of potential crimes, including conspiracy against the United States, false statements, mail fraud, wire fraud, money laundering, inaugural committee disclosure violations, and violations of laws prohibiting contributions made by foreign nations and contributions made in the name of another person, known as straw donors. Or if you hear us say cutout, that's what that is. Okay. And we already know Mueller indicted Sam Patton for using a straw donor to funnel money into the inaugural when he bought four tickets to the party for $50,000 that was recouped from a Putin-backed Ukrainian oligarch. In fact, it was Mueller's interest in Russian squid pro crow that launched this investigation in the Southern District in the first place. Go, Mueller. (laughs) (laughs) The ultimate owner of this fund is Trump himself as a person? I don't know. I don't know who the ultimate. I think the ultimate owner is the Trump inaugural. It's a it's an entity. It's Got a it. nonprofit. Is that to protect themselves, like basically from legal like liability? Like no, I think it's just you have to set it up as a five hundred one c three or c four. Okay, four c five something. <laughs> so you don't think there's like one individual who the liability falls on? It's just everyone that was involved in any sort of passing those payments along. Well, the executives could be like like take the Trump org for example. You can indict the Trump org, or you could indict the executives of the Trump org. Separately. Right. Just like AMI. You can indict AMI or you can indict Pecker or Dylan. Right. Separately. Dylan Howard. Um, For this, the two people in charge were Tom Barrick and Rick Gates. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and you know, they keep postponing the sentencing of Rick Gates. Right. Yeah. So it seems like if he were assisting the Southern District in this investigation, it would make sense to postpone his sentencing so he can get credit for helping. Yeah. Although you can get credit for helping... um, up to being in jail for a year, but he hasn't even been sentenced yet. We don't even know what kind of time he's facing, and, and additional help could make him avoid jail altogether if he wasn't already. He was the deputy director of the inaugural fund, second to Tom Barrick, who I mentioned before. He's the guy who helped Manafort get the job with Trump in the first place. <laughs> he's the one under investigation for his shady real estate dealings with the Cutter Investment Authority. And in a ProPublica report, we know that Barrick was uh, seeking to personally profit from connections to the Trump administration, according to a confidential memo obtained by WNYC. The memo outlines how Barrick's company called Colony sought to benefit financially from its ties (laughs) to Trump. Unabashedly white name. (laughs) Colonists. Um, his, this memo says, quote, the key is to strategically cultivate domestic and international relations while avoiding any appearance of lobbying. <laughs> any mm. appearance, yeah. Yeah, don't want to look like you're lobbying. Otherwise, we have to register as foreign lobbyists, and no one wants to do that. <laughs> uh, it's just not cool this year, uh, 2016. <laughs> and oddly, the only guy mentioned in the subpoena is Ahmad Zuberi. Uh, he was in Trump Tower around the same time Al Rumehi was there from the Qatar Investment Authority meeting with Flynn Jr. and Cohen. Hmm. Oh. Probably to discuss the Rosneft Commission sell-off. Super oh. beans, though. That's beans. 
And according to Renato Mariotti, friend of the pod and host of the On Topic podcast, this subpoena indicates that the investigation is in its early stages. And the massive scope of the subpoena, as I said, could take months to comply with. And the inaugural has said it will fully cooperate. So Mm -hmm. they're going to start digging. So that old February 2019 subpoena named one guy, Zuberi, Imad Zuberi, and my beans came true, by the way, when I predicted they'd bring criminal charges in the Southern District. They did. Zuberi's in jail. In November 2019, Zuberi pled guilty to a three-count information, charging him with violating the Foreign Agents Registration Act. <laughs> it's like a FARA episode today. They made false statements on a FARA filing, he did, tax evasion, and making illegal campaign contributions. In June 2020, Zuberi pled guilty in a separate case to one count of obstruction of justice. The obstruction charge to which Zuberi pled guilty in June 2020 stemmed from a federal investigation into a $900,000 donation from Zuberi through his company to a presidential inaugural committee in late 2016. Wonder which one it was. Some of the funds Zuberi donated to the committee came from other people, including one individual who gave him $50,000. After media reports that a federal grand jury in the Southern District of New York was investigating donations into the presidential inaugural committee, Zuberi met with the individual at a California restaurant on February 25th, 2019. That is 15 days after my episode came out. The one that you just heard a clip from. Zuberi met with an individual at a California restaurant. During that meeting, the individual asked Zuberi to refund the $50,000, which Zuberi did, but backdated the check to February 1st, 2019, to make it appear the refund was sent before he learned of the federal investigation. Oh, Imad. Zuberi got 12 years. He's in prison right now. So why this whole setup? What are you talking about? Where are you going, A.G.? Well, Zuberi's name popped up in the news this week. You ready for this? From the Times, federal prosecutors have obtained records indicating that John R. Allen, the retired four-star Marine general who commanded all American troops at CENTCOM in Afghanistan and now heads the venerable Washington think tank, which we'll tell you about in a minute, secretly lobbied for the government of Qatar, lied to investigators about his role, and tried to withhold evidence sought by federal subpoenas, according to court documents. Court documents that were accidentally filed. The court records are the latest evidence of a broad investigation by the Justice Department and the FBI into the influence that wealthy Arab nations like Qatar, the UAE, and Saudi Arabia wield in Washington. We know Saudi Arabia just gave Kushner $2 billion. We know the UAE gave Tom Barrick $374 million. <laughs> and now we've got this guy in Qatar. The records about General Allen were filed in April in federal district court in Central California in an application for a warrant to search General Allen's electronics communications. Other filings in the case appear to be sealed, and the public release of this warrant application might have been accidental, the Times says. The filing lays out evidence that General Allen joined in the secret lobbying plan along with Richard G. Olson, a former U.S. ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary to the United Arab Emirates and Pakistan, and Imad Zuberi, a business executive with ties to the Middle East. Mr. Zuberi is serving a prison sentence for violating foreign lobbying campaign finance tax laws and well as obstruction of justice, blah, blah, blah. Mr. Olson 
has agreed to plead guilty for participating in the Qatari lobbying effort in violation of prohibition of such activity during the first year after leaving a diplomatic service. <gasps> ethics! Hi, ethics. I waited for a year to tell you about <laughs> where I worked for the government. This guy couldn't do it. A spokesman for General Allen, Bo Phillips, said in a statement, John Allen voluntarily cooperated with the government's investigation into this matter. John Allen's efforts with regard to Qatar in 2017 were to protect the interests of the United States and the military personnel stationed in Qatar. John Allen received no fee for his efforts. The court documents were reported earlier on Tuesday by the Associated Press. Federal law requires anyone lobbying for a foreign government register with the Justice Department. The department has been cracking down in recent years on violations of the Foreign Agents Registration Act. There's no record of General Allen registering, registering to lobby for Qatar. Federal prosecutors have signaled in a particular interest in potential violations involving Persian Gulf nations, which have developed close ties to business and political figures in the United States. Last month, Justice Department filed a new indictment in an ongoing case against Tom Barrick Jr., a friend and informal advisor to Trump working on behalf of the UAE to steer American foreign policy. The plan described in the documents involving General Allen unfolded around the beginning of the Trump administration five years ago, you don't say, after he left the military and before he became president of the Brookings Institution. Qatar was frantically trying to fend off a pressure campaign, an economic embargo by its Persian Gulf rivals, Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Rumors were circulating of possible Saudi ground invasion. Donald Trump appeared to back the Saudis and Emiratis, and both sides of the dispute were spending heavily to win favor in Washington. Zuberi, according to the filing, viewed the diplomatic crisis as a business opportunity and began conspiring to sell lobbying services to Qatar. He contacted Mr. Olson, who had recently left the government. Mr. Olson, in turn, brought in General Allen. If we can do this, we will own half of Qatar, said Zuberi. To Mr. Olson in a WhatsApp message cited in the filing about their proposed plan with General Allen. The court document gives a detailed account of several weeks in June 2017 when General Allen was recruited by Mr. Olson and Mr. Zuberi to meet with top cuttery American and American officials to defuse the Gulf crisis and how General Allen saw the money making potential for his involvement. The document states that he agreed to travel to Doha, the capital of Qatar, at Mr. Zuberi's expense and negotiated payment of $20,000, which he refer referred to as a speaker's fee. The document quotes one message from General Allen showing his aim of making more money down the road to work out a fuller arrangement of a longer-term relationship. So, Allen says he didn't make any money. Well, Allen's lawyer says he didn't make any money, but uh, that's not what the documents say. Other messages cited in the document show that General Allen pursued other business with firms affiliated with Qatar, one of which would have provided him with a commission of over a million dollars. A million bucks. The document said the FBI had not determined whether he received this money. During this period, Allen met several times with American officials, including members of Congress and H.R. McMaster. He was the White House National Security Advisor at the time. But the document, citing an interview of General McMaster by federal agents, stated that General Allen never informed General McMaster that he was being paid for his work. The document also describes efforts by Allen to obstruct the investigation by lying to federal agents who asked him about his lobbying efforts during an interview last August and withholding documents that showed his financial interests in his interactions with Qatari officials. 
Allen's production was devoid, quote, of any documents that revealed his financial interest in the diplomatic crisis and nearly devoid of any documents showing the involvement of Zuberi and Olson. That's what the search warrant says. General Allen is former deputy commander of the United States CENTCOM, Central Command, which has responsibility for the Middle East at our largest base in Qatar. His time at Central Command helped him cement ties with senior Qatari leaders, including Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad al-Thani, that's the country's emir. In 2011, he was given a fourth star and took command of an all-American and NATO troops in Afghanistan until 2013. In 2016, the year before the court document states his lobbying effort began in Qatar, General Allen was an advisor to Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign and spoke that year at the Democratic National Convention. He took over as president of Brookings in November 2017. Brookings once had a large campus in Doha. The campus was established years before General Allen became president of the think tank. In September, according to its website, Brookings ended its affiliation with Doha Institute, which is now called the Middle East Council on Global Affairs. Mr. Olson's contemporaneous notes on a June 2017 conference call show that Zuberi agreed to pay the group's travel expenses and General Allen's speaking fee, but emphasized the need for secrecy. Oh, so many people emphasizing the need for secrecy this week. The filing suggests that General Allen sought other forms of payment. An Israeli security company, Fifth Dimension, agreed to pay him ten grand a month, as well as a 1.5% commission on any new business he generated. And he sought credit for persuading Qatar to sign a $72 million contract with the company over the same weekend trip, potentially earning him a fee of more than a million dollars. His endorsement, quote, would likely complete their decision-making, he wrote to the company in an email. General Allen also sat on the board of Texas-based artificial intelligence company Spark Cognition and appears to have attempted to sell a $30 million contract for its services to Qatar as well. $30 million contract. Quote, the brief is in their hands, General Allen wrote to the chief executive shortly after returning from his visit. General Allen appeared to acknowledge that he was, in effect, working as a subcontractor on the lobbying effort, most notably after the Qatari emir and other top officials insisted on excluding Mr. Zuberi from a meeting with the former general and the former ambassador. Quote, you guys should have stepped in and said, no, you should stay. Zuberi fumed in a WhatsApp message to the ambassador, adding, does General Allen know his place or his position? In an email to make amends, General Allen, according to the court documents, thanked Mr. Zuberi for his leadership and expressed regret at his exclusion. Quote, I think there's a lot of opportunity, he added. So, Zuberi is connected to the inaugural, who Sam Patton made a straw donation to, and knows DeSantis's spokesperson who just had to register as a foreign agent. The same inaugural, by the way, run by Tom Barrack, who is now under indictment for lobbying at the direction of the United Arab Emirates and Grimes wants to sever. And Zuberi is connected to this general and a former ambassador for selling access. Hmm. Quite a murder board. With that, it's time for the Fantasy Indictment League. I'm going to be indicted! No, wait, it's going to be okay. Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! I'm gonna be indicted! Oh, they can't. It's gonna be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm gonna be indicted! All right. I'm just gonna give myself five points. One for each proud boy that got hit with superseding seditious conspiracy charges this week. Hell yes. Thank you. Thank you. Hold your applause. Thank you. Uh, for this week, I'm gonna take Gates, Rudy, Sidney Powell, uh, this General John Allen fellow that I just talked about, Bannon. I think he's about to get indicted by the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg for the We Build the Wall scheme. And I think it's time to start drafting some more January 6th guys. So uh, 
especially the leaders of the coup. It's getting, I think it's getting close. I'm going to say Eastman, Donald. I'm going to put Donald on there. Why the fuck not? Roger Stone, Alex Jones, and Jeffrey Clark. Should be an interesting few months, to say the least. Although I, I'm, I really am thinking that the indictments aren't going to come until after the election. But we'll see. We also have Fonnie Willis. You know, Donald Trump could get indicted there, too. All right, that'll do it for the show. Check out the MSW Book Club episode out today. I'll be back tomorrow with the Daily Beans. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. I've been AG, and this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is written and produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media. Sound design and engineering are by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joel Reeder at Moxie Design Studios. Muller She Wrote is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. W Media.